Welcome to the May edition of the Planning Exchange podcast, and thank you to all of you who've downloaded our podcast so far. For a complete list of our podcasts and speakers to date, please visit our website at www.planningexchange.org, where you can find more information about our speakers and information about any upcoming podcasts. My name is Jess Noonan, and I'm joined by my colleague Peter Jewell. We have a very special treat for you today. Uh, we're broadcasting directly from the Planning Institute of Australia National Congress, which is being held in Melbourne over the next two days. Pia has given us the opportunity to hold a short interview with Andrew Dixon, the champion of culture, regeneration and place. Andrew, can you please give us a quick 90-second overview of your background and experience in this space? Well, I, I used to work in the arts. I used to uh, write for youth theatres and write musicals. Um, but I got involved in local government and understood that you know, local councils can be really influential on, on, on our lives. Um, so I've been involved in using the arts to um, redevelop and reposition cities. Um, I worked in Hull and Newcastle Gateshead in Scotland uh, and across the north of England uh, and I've never been a town planner um, but I realised uh, in, in uh, the last few years that what I've been doing is repositioning cities through culture and, and helping them find their story, uh, finding what it is that's distinctive about a place, um, finding what it is that makes it a good place to live and, and in some cases um, refinding the pride and citizenship of a city. Mm. Andrew, we're all shaped by our experiences. What are the ones that have shaped you most? Um, well, I was brought up in a really beautiful part of the UK in the Lake District, um, a, a small town called Kendall, and it didn't have any cultural facilities. And I was very fortunate in my teens that they developed an art centre. And uh, one individual, very passionate drama uh, teacher there, um, uh, persuaded me not to be an actor and not to go into uh, t TV or, or theatre, um, but to organise things. Um, and what I learned from that was, was two things. One, actually people make places, passionate people make things happen. Um, that art centre was made to happen by really passionate people. It's now a thriving art centre. And later in life, I was very fortunate to help them raise three or four million pounds to expand. And how do you think your life would be different if you're an actor? <laughs> uh, well, I think uh, you, you end up being an actor in life anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, some people are, are, are creative on the theatre and the stage. But uh, some of the most creative people I've seen are in professions like planning. Uh, are people that are involved in other professions, but understand the role of the arts and culture in making great places. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you can have creative accountants, but uh, creative planners are really special people. I mean, to hear uh, Rob, Rob Adams here at the Congress talking about the work he's done in Melbourne, it, it's all very subtle and understated, but oh. um, that is a creative person mm -hmm. who is leaving a legacy for this city, um, which will be there for generations to come. Mm. So how have you enjoyed um, Congress so far? Have you been to all of the sessions well, the, the highlight so far was uh, Rob Andrews, uh, Rod, Rob Adams, mm -hmm. and his tour of uh, of Melbourne, uh, and really, you know, walking past uh, cafes, walking past uh, pavements, walking past flower sellers, and hearing the the understory of a city mm. that's repositioning itself, mm -hmm. um, seeing how you take cars off the streets and how you put people onto them, mm -hmm. uh, looking at uh, the city um, in small bite-sized chunks and not trying to do big buildings or big transformational projects, uh, but looking at it, uh, the, the very grain of a city and how you make it more livable. Um, also, 
learning from him about making mistakes. You know, planners make mistakes, everybody makes mistakes in life. Uh, and how Melbourne's tested things out, and if, if it hasn't worked, they've changed it. You know, they've built a square and then it didn't work, so they, they put some grass in it, or they put some more seating in it, or they, they got rid of mm. uh, that big open space. So you like the finer grain nature of what you're saying? I do, I, I, and I like the fact that, you know, the city's got a really strong vision here in Melbourne. You know, a lot of the work I do is about a rallying call, finding something that a city can get behind that the people can feel proud of. Um, and here you have a, you know, a very simple vision uh, a, a, about a city um, that, that's uh, you know, keeping it distinctively Melbourne. Mm. So in the beginning of the 21st century, culture and creativity have become key concepts on the agenda of city managers, development agents and planners who are desperately searching for new foundations and new development with dwindling city budgets. Where do you fit in? Well, I fit in as a catalyst, I suppose. Um, I'm not a planner. Uh, I'm not a local government official anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm a person that can help a city identify uh, with what's distinctive, uh, can identify with its past, its history, uh, and also its contemporary culture, and can help find the energy uh, within its people. Yeah. And um, often people are doing cultural development for economic reasons, you know, a lot of the work I did in the northeast of England in Newcastle Gateshead, people talk about it as being a, a master plan of cultural regeneration. It wasn't. There was no master plan. It wasn't about the economy. Um, it was about people, and it was about giving opportunities to the next generation of young people that, that hadn't had culture. The reality was it, it, it then became an economic regeneration project. But c- cities come at these things, you know, creative industries is one of the fastest growing areas of employment, certainly in the UK and I think here in Australia. Um, and so it's natural for planners to want to build creative industry centres or creative quarters. Um, but that in itself misses uh, the, the trick. Um, the trick is to you know, find something that's, that's a niche or something that's special about your city and to build on that. Now, you know, Melbourne's got so many things that are special about it, um, but it, it recognised its literary past. It's become a UNESCO city of literature, um, and it can build on that and, and grow that in the future. Andrew, is part of what you do is bringing the arts to the people and the bringing the people to the arts, do you think? Yeah, it is. You know, I... I I don't play cricket. I don't like watching cricket, um, but I'm <laughs> quite. <laughs> I'm quite proud that there's a kind of cricket ground down the street from <laughs> me <laughs> in Edinburgh, Scotland. Um, some people don't like the arts. Some people won't participate in the arts, um, but actually, the arts can make them proud of of where they live. So, what I try and do is is rallying calls to get people behind their place and behind their city. I'll, I'll talk later about the city of Hull in in England and. You know, Hull's a place that's quietly proud. It's not loud. It doesn't shout about itself. It's probably been beaten down by unemployment, loss of industry. And so we had a job to do to uh, get the pride back into the place. And and culture was the uh, touchstone. We lit something uh, which suddenly uh, got a whole population behind a cause. Andrew, we had a program here called Pride of Place for a while running... uh much the same as what you're discussing. Is the localising culture and art to place a concept familiar prior to modernism, uh, but largely lost in the 20th century? I mean, you're trying to bring back this sense of place and pride in place. Why did that disappear? Um, Cities and and places uh, have very short 
memories and um, the, the corporate memory of a city can, can disappear. You know, actually here in Melbourne, nobody's talked, uh, I'm surprised, about the Great Exhibition and the Great Exhibition Centre in Melbourne, which is, you know, a previous period of this city's growth mm. and, and worldwide was seen as, as an exemplar. Uh, and in the four years after that Great Exhibition, all sorts of investment was happening in here. Uh, but that's maybe just a small example of um, a bit of cultural history of a place that's been lost. You need to capture those and re- reignite those stories. Find out what's different about your city compared to another city and play on that and, and, and help build that pride and passion in the difference. Mm. So open space, liberty and independence of thought. These are concepts promoted by Hull. Can you expand? Well, the city of Hull, for, for those listeners who, who don't know it, um, is in the northeast of England and uh, had a very famous member of parliament called William Wilberforce who mm. fought slavery, for the yeah. abolition of, of yeah. slavery um, yeah. and was very influential in that. And the city's always played a role in um, human rights and abolition mm. of slavery. It created the town of Freetown in Sierra Leone, literally mm. yeah, created okay. that as a, as a safe haven for emancipated slaves. So when we came to deliver a major cultural program in Hull, um, freedom became a strong theme. Uh, We have a freedom festival, uh, we have a a centre at the University of Hull uh, that's looking at uh, contemporary issues around Mm. slavery. Uh, So it's very important to the place, but we expanded that to talk about freedom uh, of space, freedom of thinking and freedom of artists. And the role that artists have played actually in places like South Africa, um, in Russia and others in uh, fighting for human rights mm. and, and fighting for freedom. Mm. So culture changes lives, lifts morale, raises aspirations and defines the very character of cities. How do you marry economic revitalization, the arts and planning together? Well, if you change one life through a cultural project, um, it's making a contribution. If you can change multiple lives in a city, it's a, a planned contribution uh, to, to the health and growth of a city. Um, joining up cities is, is really important. And uh, in a piece of work that I did in, in England recently, I asked people to bring in an object that summed up uh, the culture in the city. And somebody brought in their children's Join the Dots painting book. Uh, and what they said was, you know, this city's got things of great beauty, it's got really interesting cultural past, but nobody's ever joined the dots. Mm. Mm. And if we did, we could create something really special. Mm. And, and joining the dots is not just you know, joining those historical dots, it's joining the dots of the, the infrastructure in a city, the universities, the planners, the educationalists, the developers... Um, so, so I think culture is actually quite a good tool uh, for getting people to talk about their place and talk about the city and getting people working together. Are people comfortable talking about culture and, um, I don't know, being vulnerable to culture, maybe? Um, it, it depends where you are in the world. For, for some people, culture is, comes very naturally as something to talk about. And, and culture has a very broad definition for mm. me. You know, food is part of mm. the culture. Um, the way the way you live is, is part of the culture. It's not just about theatre and music and dance and um, visual arts. Um, actually, you know, digital computers are part of culture. Gaming is part of culture. Um, so pe- people often say, oh, I'm not interested in culture. But then you ask them, you know, do you dance? Mm. Um, do you like music? Uh, do you ever take photographs with your mobile phone? 
And actually, I think with digitization, we've gone from a situation where a much higher percentage of the population is engaged on a daily basis mm -hmm. in cultural activity. Um, so I think it's going to become more... more um, Democratisation of culture? Democratisation, yeah. yeah, yeah. The pe people have found roots into culture now that didn't exist 15, 20 years ago. When considering the culture and revitalizations of cities, what, what's your standout example from across the world? Or maybe not just the one, but maybe two or three. Um, Glasgow in, uh, in Scotland. Um, I mean, people talk about Bilbao, which was, and the Guggenheim. It wasn't just the Guggenheim, it was other things. Um, but Glasgow, for me, is the, the standout example. Um, Glasgow, uh, run down, high unemployment, um, very poor quality uh, old housing, um, a real basket case in terms of people's perceptions of the place. Mm -hmm. And it bid to be European Capital of Culture in 1990. It used culture to re-engage with the city and the fabric of the city. It's just recently hosted the Commonwealth Games as another major event that's driven regeneration. But, but over a period of 30 to 40 years, that city has completely transformed itself as a, a major visitor destination, a major visitor mm. um, centre, uh, and a great place to live. Mm. And how does what you do fit in with the broad challenges of city planning, the, you know, the nuts and bolts of housing, transport systems, community facilities? Is this just about, I'm being a bit contrarian here, is this a bit of a sugar hit? Um, can your efforts make a lasting change? Can I give you a very small example uh, here? Whack so, me down, please. Uh, <laughs> some might, people might say, well, you know, what has the arts and culture got to do with housing? Um, actually, if you look at the the design of housing over 400 years, it hasn't changed very much. Um, certain types of housing look exactly the same as they did 400 years ago. Um, and we're now building you know, modern apartments that look the same the world over. Um, I think there's going to be a move to have more distinctive places to live and more distinctive housing. And the involvement of artists in that thinking is important. Mm -hmm. in, again, in the north of England, in a, a little town called Darlington, there was a developer who uh, was taking over a, a big industrial area called West Park um, and the first people they appointed weren't architects or builders, it was a poet hmm. Hmm. and they had a, a, a poet as a consultant who advised them on how to make that place distinctive, how to find out the past so that people knew they were living somewhere that had a history, hmm. that wasn't a chemical works that hmm. had closed down. Because Philip Larkin was in how it wasn't he? Yeah, Philip Larkin was a great inspiration for the work that um, we've been doing in, in the city of Hull. Um, he, he wrote a poem called Days. Um, days they are to be happy in. Uh, but you can't be happy if you're living in unemployment, ill health, poverty. So we turned his poem into a really kind of positive statement about what we were going to do for the challenges of a city. Um, and I think poets can be... <laughs> Really insightful. Uh, Seamus Heaney in, in Derry, London Derry, completely inspired their year of culture in 2013. Um, poets and writers, um, great observationalists about cities. Are they shy though? They often are shy and they won't you know, want to be in the limelight uh, for these things, um, but they can find words that, mm. that sum up a city. Um, words are really important. You know, I, I do workshops in different cities and um, try to get down to four or five words mm, that sum up a city. 
And if you get artists, if you get people from the community, uh, business people together, and ask them for words about their city, and then say, well, you can't have that one because that's the same as Melbourne, mm. or that's the same as Glasgow. It's a really interesting exercise and surprising, you know, where you can get to mm. in that process. And um, uh, I've just been doing it with a, a really fantastic city in the Midlands called Coventry. Um, Warwickshire is near where Stratford, where William Shakespeare was. Um, it's a major car town. Uh, um, it's designed the bicycle, many cars, the jet engine. Um, it got bombed to bits mm. in the war mm. and lost a lot of its medieval history, lost a lot of its identity. Um, and we've been looking at, you know, what are, what are the words that define Coventry? Mm. Because it's made massive contributions mm. to the world. Yeah, on that point, modernism sought to uh, homogenise society and modern economics tends to make one high street look like another. Are you perhaps involved in giving local identity a step up? And where is a space that local culture can occupy in that? Well, um, there, there was a, a local authority uh, councillor leader um, in Gateshead in the north of England, and he said, you know, every street will have a Starbucks, every mm. street will have a, a Nando's, or was that mm. effect, but no one has the Angel of the North, mm. which is a major sculpture. Um, and he's right, you know, I, I'll have images in my presentation at the Congress about um, high streets being homogenised and all looking the same, and, and uh, as you do a presentation, I show four cities uh, that all look identical. Mm. Uh, because they've got the same retail, they've got some of the same architecture. What culture does is make cities different. And what intelligent planning does is uh, enable us to uh, create difference. Let's have a quick chat about the Bilbao, I always think I'm pronouncing this wrong, Bilbao effect. Is it hard to replicate and what do people get wrong about it? Well, what people get wrong is... Uh, you know, big things will always be transformational. I mean, they can be. They can be hugely transformational in, in Newcastle Gateshead, uh, the Angel of the North, the Sage Gateshead, which is a music centre and a big gallery called the Baltic, have been transformational to the tourism economy of, of a city that was previously known as a coal town. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but, but big isn't always beautiful. And I think um, that's one of the things about the uh, Bilbao example, it wasn't just the building of the Guggenheim. Mm. Um, John Holland is speaking at the Congress about Bilbao, and again, it was the granularity of, of planning and thinking and architecture um, that made that city a great success. Mm. You know, Paris Paris isn't successful because of the Eiffel Tower or the Arc de Triomphe. It's successful because there's a whole range of things that mm. have uh, made that city a great place to live. And you mentioned the Angel of the North before. <clears throat> what, did, what does that say about city image? Well, the Angel of the North uh, is, uh, just to describe it, is, um, it's a sculpture by uh, an artist called Anthony Gormley. It's a large angel. Uh, it's actually modelled on his body with a pair of wings. Um, and it stands uh, 70 feet high on the outskirts of the city as a sort of welcoming image. It's actually built on a coal mine. It's built out of steel, which is a traditional industry. Um, but it was controversial mm. when it first emerged. 80% of the population were against it. Um, and then the moment it arrived, everything changed uh, because it symbolised the pride of the place. Uh, it symbolised all that kind of uh, history of engineering and mining. Um, and it became uh, an iconic symbol for, for the city. Um, what it's done for city image is to you know, put Gateshead 
on the map of the world. Probably Gateshead has become more important and more knowledge, people know Gateshead more than they know Newcastle, which is the, the main city in the area. Um, and Gateshead then had the confidence to go on and develop a major music centre, a major gallery, a design centre, and it's repositioned its whole town centre, um, and it's, it's a growing place. Um, so one sculpture um, has given a whole city uh, confidence. I, I talk about it as a broker of ambition. You know, it suddenly enabled the city to think more ambitiously. Mm. It enabled people to think, we can do things. We can do things that are world-class. Um, and we can make the world uh, think about us through arts and culture. Mm. One of the key themes we like to discuss with all of our interviewees is technology. Um, in advising cities and looking forward, what trends in de- technology do you consider? Um, well, <laughs> everybody seems obsessed by having the, the city app and yes. um, being able to um, reinterpret their heritage by walking past the building and it suddenly tells you uh, uh, who built it and, and, and who worked in it. There's even one for Congress, I believe. Yeah, there is. It's, <laughs> it's, it's completely challenging because if you really want to know what's on next to which room, you want a piece of paper. Um, yes. <laughs> and so technology can't solve everything. Um, but in culture, I think one of the things it has enabled is, is, is a greater democracy. Uh, for people to participate. Um, I'm hoping to work on a project with the University of Hull where I'm a a visiting professor um, that's a digital doomsday book of the city. And the idea is that we use the UK City of Culture in 2017 where the city is that title um, to get the whole population to document uh, the culture of the city for, for a whole 12 months and to create this living archive through mm. film, through poetry, uh, through photography um, that gives a snapshot of, of that city. Um, and I feel very confident you know, we'll get more than half the population engaged in, yeah. in that project. Um, property developers have realised and rediscovered that culture enhances the value of locations. Are they picking up on a desire of, of social cachet or association? Um, well, I mean, there's a hard bottom line. You know, property developers realise that um, culture does add value. Um, there's a very visionary developer called Peter Millican in the UK, and he developed some buildings in Newcastle, and he commissioned a sculpture by Edward Palozzi. Probably cost him half a million pounds to commission that sculpture, but it put up the land values, it put mm. up the rental values of the, the office building, uh, and it made it um, a go-to destination in the city. Um, he subsequently went on and developed a very successful project called King's Place in London, Regent's Canal Basin. Uh, it's occupied by our newspapers, The Guardian and The Observer. Um, and he built two concert halls and a gallery in an office block because what he recognised is that culture creates meeting places. Um, culture gives people reasons to come together and to use your building as a, as a destination. We're social creatures. And, and it's added massive value to, to his building. Uh, Newcastle Gateshead, the rejuvenation, cold town to cool town. Not everyone can do this, do you think? Can everyone, is every place capable of making these transformations? I, I work in Scotland and uh, you know everybody's proud of Edinburgh as a major festival city. Um, it's actually a little bit complacent to the city. It's not got the cultural facilities that Melbourne has. Everybody's really proud of Glasgow. 
uh, unless they live in Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but my message was that you know every town, every city, every place in Scotland has got something unique to offer culturally. They can't all be Bilbao. They can't all be uh, great cultural capitals. Um, but I don't think I've been anywhere where I haven't been able to find something that's a cultural strength mm-hmm. of even a village. So where do you pick up your ideas? And um, I pick up my ideas really from from talking to people and. Um, facilitating conversations, um, challenging people, testing testing cities, asking what it is that's um, uh, powerful about them or interesting about them culturally, um, and then reinterpreting them. I, I was in Coventry. Um, it's a great city. It's got a ring road, uh, and you can't find your way from the station to the city centre. And... Uh, this is a problem. You know, this was all because of 60s, 50s planning, though, wasn't it? It was modern urbanism. Modern, modernism, yeah. yeah. But their solution, they got an art, they did a competition for somebody to help uh, people find their way to the city centre, and this was way before I got involved. Um, an artist from a, a local theatre company called Talking Birds um, had the idea of a, a thin blue line. So Coventry made blue ribbons, its football team wears sky blue, the city's colour is blue. And so instead of a yellow line, there's no parking line along the side of the road, um, he designed an artwork which was basically a single blue line that, mm. that went through into the city centre. Um, this was so popular that people started chipping pieces out of it uh, to become works of art. Mm. And it's gradually been worn away. But, but actually, that's the sort of thing where I think you know, a, a city can, can reinterpret itself through the idea of a single artist. Taking that football analogy one step further, <clears throat> what you do is it is it essentially a bit like a foot, football coach. You bring people together, you, you instil confidence, you put some maybe discipline in, ideas. Um, no, I wouldn't say it's football coaching. Football coaches uh, are about winning. It's not about winning or losing with the arts. It's it's about playing uh, and um, playing sport. playing a little bit uh, differently. I, I, I do do the football coach thing, I suppose, uh, because I also work on bids for cities. So um, I've worked with York on the bid to be um, UNESCO City of Media Arts, and you're in it to win it. I've worked with Hull on the bid to be UK City of Culture, and it's absolutely a competition. I worked on the bid with Newcastle uh, to host the World Cup, and we didn't win. That was with football. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, and in in those sort of roles, you're, you're a coach, you're a tactician, you're you're helping to interpret the city and get the best out of it. And you're also also trying to cut through the crap, mm-hmm. you know. Um, people talk in great length about their place and their city, and a lot of it's irrelevant. And if you're wanting to really make your city shine, you've got to get to the absolute nuggets of, of, of uh, pride, difference, um, and, and uniqueness. So what are your observations about Australia? Have you done much travel around Australia? I, I haven't actually. I, I, I mean, I've travelled to about 45 countries around the world. I've been very fortunate and, you know, experienced some, some terrific cities and, and, and countries. Uh, but I've only been to Melbourne. Oh, really? Uh, twice in, mm-hmm. in Australia. And I do hope to come back. In fact, on, on the back of an interview just the other week, I've had an invitation to Sydney. Um, I know quite a lot about Australia and a lot of my friends and, and, and even family have moved here and uh, people have a deep affection for the city. My son wants to come here. Um, 
uh, and I will be visiting uh, one or two places around Melbourne this week. What I see is a a place that uh, has absorbed lots of different cultures. It had its own very strong cultural identity of its own, um, and there was a danger that that was being um, homogenised by um, taking on other cultures. Um, but what's been great to see through through work of many agencies and the arts agencies as well is celebrating that indigenous culture whilst also really embracing the diversity of modern Australia. So the first time you were in Australia, was that recently as well or was that... Yeah, it was about four, four years ago okay. in, in Melbourne and I've seen Melbourne grow you know, even in that four-year mm. difference. How do you um, think it's changed in those four years? Um, it's become even more livable as a city. I think the the South Bank, where we are now at the conference centre, has become uh, more energised, more mm-hmm. active. It's become you know, part of the walking city. Um, public spaces are constantly improving. The pavements, uh, the cleanliness of the city. Um, it just feels a really safe place to be. Mm-hmm. All right, well... Thank you so much for talking to us today, Andrew. What a treat to have you here for the Planning Congress for Planning Institute of Australia. You've certainly given us a lot to think about and a list of places to visit when we're next in the UK. Just a quick reminder to our listeners to also check out our website, www.planningexchange.org, where you'll find further information on the PX podcast series and information about past and future guests. Relax your body. What makes you an exception? To get ready to fly. The history of the future. With the wideband circuits, break it down into thousand bit packets, and a message will go back such as this. All over the world, rewriting, recreating the same old programs and over and over. For Nice.